Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu salam rasulullah. You're listening to Islam Tomorrow. We're broadcasting almost live all the way from right here in good old Arlington. Arlington, we're in Texas, back in my old hometown. This is a place where many years ago I was trying to convert a Muslim from Egypt, a Saidi, trying to convert him to Christianity. And an amazing thing happened. Amazing thing happened. He said to me, I'm willing to go to your religion if it's better than my religion. And I said, well, now there's a deal. We can draw the water and baptize this boy tonight and we've got us another Christian. But then he added an amazing statement. He said, but you'll have to have proof. And I said, since when is religion about proof? Religion's about faith. He said, in Islam, we have both. We have proof. And we have faith. But if what you got is better than what I got, I'm willing to go to it. For the next three months, I tried my best to think of all the different ways, anyway, to get this guy to accept Christianity. But along the way, I couldn't help but hear what he was saying. On the few rare occasions when I let him speak, <laughs> when I wasn't talking, I would hear him say some amazing statements. When we discussed belief, what do we believe about God? A Catholic priest and myself and my father, who's an ordained minister, would sit around and talk about the beliefs, trying to explain how we understand the concept of God. How that God can be one and three at the same time, because God can do anything. So if he wants to, he can be three. And how could he be a man and be God? He's God, he can do anything. But when we would ask him about his religion, he didn't have to go through any mental gymnastics to give us an answer. He didn't have to explain how three could be one at the same time. By the way, do you want somebody to do your income tax that can't tell the difference between one and three? Think about that. Seriously. So, rather than deal with that, he said, there's something simple and beautiful in the Quran that explains exactly about this subject. That when somebody asks you about God, this is what you say. A'udhu billahi minish shaitani rajeem. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Qul huwallahu ahad. Allahu samad. Lam yalid. Wa lam yulad. Wa lam yukuluhu kufu ahad. All of you here know this surah better than me. And the imam even read it tonight in the salah. Say. He is Allah, the unique, eternally sought after by His creation through eternity. Not the father of anything, not the son of anything. Doesn't compare to anything and He is Ahad, unique. What an easy way to explain the whole thing. He's one. That's it. And one is easy to figure out. One is one. As far as Muslims... We don't say God can do anything. We say Allahu ala kulishayin kadir. Allah is capable of having the ability, the power to do what He wills to do. But we don't make the mistake of saying something silly. God can do anything. Because if you say that, immediately a non-believer will say, Can He die? Duh. What a stupid thing. Allah is al-hayy. 
He's eternally alive. So no, he doesn't die. He's capable of doing what he wills to do, but he never wills to not be a law anymore. Can he make bullum? Can he oppress? No, he can't. Why? He won't because he's a deal. Fair. That's one of his names. If he changed that, then he wouldn't be him anymore. So he doesn't violate any of his attributes. Isma'a So understanding the Tawheed of Islam is real important for a Muslim to know the names of Allah, what they mean and how we understand it. Because when you do, nobody's going to trick you on that. Can he die? Of course not. He's not ever going to die. He's all high. Can he oppress? Never. Allah is Ghafur Rahim, merciful. Can he punish? Yeah, he can. But he don't have to if he don't want to. Because he's capable of doing what he wants to do. That's the way we answer that. Sometimes they'll ask you, where's God? That's a good question. And people will say he's everywhere. That's what Hindus believe, not Muslims. Hindus say God is everywhere. If you say God is everywhere, then that wall is God. The rug is God. You get your foot on God. Do you believe that? I don't buy that, do you? <laughs> That's sick. If you said he's everywhere, he's in the rainbow, he's in the clouds, <laughs> what about HIV virus? What about the toilet? A'udhu billah, astaghfirullah. What are you talking about? Allah is Akbar. Allah is Akbar. He's greater than anything He created. Therefore, what? You're not going to point to Allah like that. When we point up, we just mean He's in the heavens. He's above. He's not like His creation. If you said He's like His creation, then how is He a had? He wouldn't be a had anymore. Laysa kamithlihi shayin. Is that what it says in the Quran? Huh? What does that mean? He's not like his creation. He's not like anything. But he is all hearing and all seeing. There isn't anything that Allah doesn't know, right? And he sees everything, he hears everything, but it's a kind of hearing and seeing that's not like what we have. Can you hear something that's 10 miles from here right now? No. But he can hear the whole entire universe at the same time. And see it all at the same time. There are several verses in Quran similar to what I just said. I may have mixed something a little bit, but that you got the idea. He's the one who created the heavens and earth in what? Six ayum days. And then he what? Astawa al-Alarsh. Station, position, above his throne. How? He didn't say. You want to make up something? I don't. I'll just let it go at what he said. Does that make sense? Just leave it. We're not going to say he's sitting there. That sounds like something a human would do. We didn't say he's laying down there. Two versions of the, of the English translation of the Old Testament start out the words... Differently. One said, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. Most of them, the, like King James and those that follow that pattern, begin with a prepositional phrase, the word in. Which obviously wouldn't be right, because you know, how could God make the mistake of starting off a sentence incorrectly with the word in? But the other one says, when God began creating the heavens and earth, 
Well, that, that would make a lot more sense to us because God predates creation, obviously. He doesn't have a beginning or an end. He's the beginning and the end. Make sense? This is real important. This is key because when you understand these points, when you're talking to somebody that's not Muslim or you're talking to your own children, you don't fall in the trap of saying the wrong thing about God. Because if you say the wrong thing, you're going to get caught. Plus, he's not going to be real happy with you either. Can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up and move it? Now, listen to that. What's wrong with that? Can God make a rock so big he can't move it? What kind of stupid question is that? This is somebody that doesn't understand how Allah operates. When Allah wants anything to happen, what does he say in the Quran? He rose up his sleeves and he... Oh, astaghfirullah. Kun. Ah. It's as easy as that. It says it in the Bible, in English, the same thing we translate, kun fayakun. He just says, be. And it is. Can God make a rock so big nothing can move it? Yes. Nothing in the creation. Can he move it? He doesn't move stuff. You get him confused with something in the creation. He orders it and it happens. <laughs> Don't compare Allah to the creation. There's where the mistake comes. We don't say he can do anything. We say he can do anything he wants to do. We don't say he's everywhere because that makes a big problem. He's wherever he is, but it's not in the creation. And when we talk about how he operates, he doesn't compare to us. Straighten those things out and you won't get trapped by this nonsense thinking. You won't get stuck and have these brain locks that go on in your head and you can't move. Okay? It's called basic Akita. When I teach the children in the Muslim school, that's where we start. That's always where I start and that's really where I end with them too. I'm, I'm real happy, alhamdulillah, this year. I saw some of my students. They're all grown up now and I look at them and they come back to me and they say, you know, those, those words stick with us. Try us out now. Because I used to test them all the time. Where's Allah? Where's Allah? And I don't want to hear everywhere. I don't want to hear that. And when I say, what is Islam? I don't want to hear, Islam is peace. I don't want to hear it. I want you to know what Islam means. I want you to know who is Allah. Allah is the creator and sustainer of everything. And I want you to understand what's Islam. It's your way to get to Allah. That's it. That's what it's all about. It's your relationship with your creator. That word deen, I was talking about it today. I wish I have time to write a whole book on this subject of the word deen. Because there's a problem. There's a big problem in English. When you do that translation, this locks up even Muslims thinking because they use that word religion and it won't work. In Adina in the Islam. Translation said, the only religion for God is Islam. If you really mean that, that means he has the Islam. To who? That doesn't work. Allah is not in submission to somebody. That's not a good translation. And it's not religion. The only thing he's going to accept is what? وَمَمْ يَبْتَغِ غَيْرُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينَ فَلَا Yes? What does that mean? If anybody wants a different deen than the one that Allah has prescribed for them, he'll never accept it. He won't accept it. And in the Akhirah, 
who he will be in the minal chaserin from the losers, right? Din, way of life. Al yomul akmaltu lakum dinakum. On this day, Allah said He perfected your deen for you. On the day He said that, that was the last of the ayahs that came. There's a difference of opinion over what came last, a surah and an ayah. And it's possible that the last surah that came was either Jah Nasrullah Wafat and that this ayah comes at another time and it's saying this is, you know, the perfection of deen. But in any case, this is the end of the Quran, right before the Prophet died. And it says, on this day have I perfected for you your deen, conferred my nama, nitma, or favor on you, and have chosen for you to do what? Or raditulakum islamadina. Submit to Allah as a way of life. Does it make sense? So this way, you don't date something and say, okay, anybody before Muhammad goes to hell. What is that? That doesn't make any sense. All Christians have to go to hell. What is that? Jews go to hell. Nope. Anybody who does Islam is a Muslim. But you can't do Islam if you don't know to whom. Because you can't go somewhere and you don't know where you're going, right? Is that, is that simple enough? You can't go where you don't know where you're going. Just to walk around in the dark is not going anywhere. So it means... The person has to know there is a law. And then they want to do what Allah wants them to do. Can you make up your own religion and Allah is going to take it? Well, if that's the case, then you don't have to worry about sitting around in here. Just do what you like to do. Have a good time. Allah likes for me to buy things on credit. Okay, so I can do that and I'm going to get reward. What was that? that Allah likes for me to steal money. Or Allah likes for me to drink alcohol. Or Allah likes... You can just say whatever you want to say, right? But you know it's not true. You know it's a lie. And you're not fooling the law. So who are you fooling? That's all. So when people make up a religion, they're just fooling themselves. But if you want to have a way of life that Allah will approve of, then it'll only be one way. His way. Absolutely. Did you create a law? In some religions, that's exactly what it is. They created their own God. They said, God is like this. And we'll even make a form of Him. He looks like this and He's shaped like this. And oh, and then the way to get to Him is the way we say, well, let's make up something and then we do this and we do that. Those are called man-made religions. And Islam is not accepting any man-made religion. The only thing it accepts is the way of life that Allah prescribed. That's the only way you can explain this in the English language that makes any sense. And Mualahi. I didn't see one person enter Islam. Not one. I saw thousands enter into Islam. And I did not guide a single one. And I didn't push anybody. I didn't have anything to do with it other than I was there as witness. How is that possible? How is this possible? Who is the only guide? Who is the guide? Whoever he guides, nobody will misguide. But whoever he lets go astray, you can't guide him.
How is that fair? How is it fair that this guy over here, he didn't hear the message? Or this guy over here, for some reason, he heard it and he still won't go. I don't understand, you know. Why isn't he being guided? He's a nice guy. He's a sweet person. This lady is so nice and she does charity. And But why didn't God guide them? i got a question for you. Well, you're all worried about that. Can I ask you just one question? Do you know what's inside their heart? He does. Do you know what they really want? Because he does. And Allah always gives people what they really, really want. If you want peace, you got it. If you want to be close to him, no problem. If you want to play games, you got that too. But the decision not to follow Allah's will in this earth is a really bad one. Not only are you going to suffer here, wait till you see what happens on Resurrection Day. We're all going to be there and we're all going to be witness. And nobody's going to stick up for anybody else on that day. Every single one of us will be one condition only. Even your own mother, you're not going to care about her. And a mother won't care about her own child. Is that true? Every person will be saying one word. Nafsi, 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 nafsi. Myself, myself, myself on that day. <laughs> and everybody's going to know there's a law. But there's a little problem. It's too late. Too late now. When everything is clear right in front of you, that is not the time. When the freight train is this close to you and you're on the track, that's it. It's called goodbye. And this is much worse than that. Every one of us will be facing that. You got choices, but you don't have any will. There is no such thing as a human having will power. That's really a nonsense concept. Because that would mean then that we are demigods. We can will what we like. Oh, I want this, so I'll just use my mental powers to... Mm, oh, it's going to happen. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. If I could make up a religion, and if I had any kind of will, I'll tell you two things immediately. I would not look like this, and I would not be sitting here. Okay? The rest you can figure out for yourself. <laughs> Serious. And you would do the same thing if you had willpower. And you could make up a religion and do what you want to do. And obviously. And now let's think what did Rasul Sallallahu tell us. What did he tell us? A dunya signal movement. Hmm? What genital kafir. The material existence that we live in every day, we call it Hayat dunya daily life or you know is a prison to a true believer but it's a paradise for a disbeliever disbelievers are the ones who are making their paradise here I need a bigger house I need a bigger car gotta get a new computer huh and I, I need a keo plan yeah and I gotta do some big time investment here with this and I got to join this country club over here. And uh, Oh, yeah, and I need a new boat. And why do I need that? Because this is my agenda, man. This is my paradise. 
But then what will be in the next life? Huh? Think. Think about it. Why did the Prophet ﷺ use the term Sijin instead of hell or nar? Why did he say it's a prison? For one thing, you're alive and you got a chance. But there are heavy restrictions on a Muslim in this case. Is that true? We have heavy restrictions. Can I go anywhere I want to go? Nope. I can't do that. Not as a Muslim. There are places I can't go. Can I eat anything I want to eat? Nope. we got a diet code. Drink anything I want to drink? Nope. Same deal. Hang out with anybody I want to hang out with? No. No. No, 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 no. That's very restricted. Can I have some girlfriends? As long as you marry them first. Okay. But more than anything else, what makes a prison a prison? And I work in prisons. I've been a prison chaplain now for 10 years. But what makes a prison a prison is the fact that you cannot be with the ones you love. That is the worst kind of prison there is, not to be with the one you love. If you love a person and they die, then what can you do? You miss them and miss them and miss them and there isn't anything you can do. You're just stuck with that. Right? Well, how about this? The believer knows there is a law. And just as Jesus is speaking in the Bible, if he said what they said he said, the same holds true in Islam. You have to love Allah with all your heart and all your might and all your strength. Because that's true devotion to Allah. And if you really, really love Allah, then why would you want to be staying here in this place, avoiding death? Huh? Because death is the only way you're ever going to get there. I'm not in a hurry, by the way. Don't shoot me, okay? I'm just saying, you know eventually we got to die. And that's the only way that you're ever going to get to see Allah. We have to go through that. But Allah told us, Kullu nafsin da'ikatumot. Yes? Every single soul shall taste death. It'll come soon enough, so don't get in a hurry. But that is one of the things that makes this a prison. I can't be with Allah. I can't see Allah here. But in the next life, and they asked the Prophet, peace be upon him. They said, will we be able to see Allah in the next life? Will we have any difficulty in seeing him? He said, do you have any difficulty to see the sun on a bright day? Or the moon on a clear night? They said, no. He said, in the same way, you will have no difficulty in seeing Allah. Allah. And when you go to see Allah, you'll be able to present yourself in front of Allah on Fridays. And when you go to see Allah and you come back to your people, what are they going to see? What are they going to say to you? How much more beautiful you are than when you left. Just by being in front of Allah. You will shine and glow from this experience to be close to An-Nur. He is An-Nur, the light. To be close to Allah is the goal of every Muslim. And when we hear people say stupid things, of course they don't know it's stupid. They, they read stuff in the newspaper or watch TV too much. And they say, what about 72 virgins in the paradise? That's all Muslims want. Did you hear me talking about that? I'm talking about I want to be close to Allah. Who do I love? Allah. Isn't that what you're after? Isn't that what we're after to be close to Allah? Why people focus on something like this? 
You want to know why? That's their own sick mentality, isn't it? You get hung up on the wrong thing. Talking about sick mentality. Let's jump on that case. What do you do? People are coming to you with these harsh questions. Really harsh questions. How are you going to answer them? How could a 53-year-old man have sex with a 6-year-old girl? Whoa. That's not very nice, is it? How are you going to answer that question? How come you Muslims has to beat your wives? Ooh. We don't have to do that. It says so in your Koran. It says right there, chapter 4, verse 34, right there, and beat them. It's amazing. You only caught the tail end of something that's actually a very beautiful statement. How come you Muslims claim you worshiping a God up in the air somewhere, but you really praying to a black box here in the desert, kissing the ground five times a day? Sound like a redneck, doesn't it? <laughs> I used to know a redneck. <laughs> anyway, alhamdulillah. <laughs> How come you Muslims has to kill all the Jews and the Christians? Whoa, where, where do you get that? What? You said in your Quran chapter 2 verse 191 and kill them wherever you find them. That's what it says in the translation. What's really bad is when they add words to it. It says, and wherever you find them Jews and Christians, kill them. Which is really sick. Because it's not talking about Jews and Christians. But that's beside the point. How are you going to answer them? How will you answer that? This is really the shayateen, man. But look at this. Suppose you decided, well, you know, I've been listening to Sheikh Yusuf's tapes. Now I'm ready to go out here and give some shahadas. And, you know, so you go out and you said... Okay, I want to tell you about Islam. Islam? Huh. Well, how is it in your religion a 53-year-old man has sex with a 6-year-old girl? And you go, oh, I know that one. She was 9. Whatever. Oops. <laughs> you just lost. That's called you lose. Everybody knows she wasn't 6. She was 9 when they actually got married, right? Right? Sahih Bukhari. But six is another hadith mentioning when the proposal was first offered. That's the real deal. But by falling on that, you said nine. They said, what's the difference? But you missed the question. Let me show you how to answer them. This is carte blanche, across the board. Okay? Just use this. First and foremost, remember this. They don't know. And it's your fault they don't know because you've used all of your energy and resources to promote your dunya. You have not promoted any dawah in this, in this world. Now, don't tell me you did because I know better. Fifteen years I've been around you guys and I know exactly we have not done the job. Anybody here call me a liar? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Alhamdulillah. I'm ready, man. Let's go. <laughs> Anyhow. So, because it's our responsibility, and we haven't done the job, we can't get mad at anybody but ourselves. So, when you see this, even aggressive, hateful, mean, 
behavior coming toward you, you have to do this. You have to say to them, thank you for asking me about my religion. You have to do that. It's your, it's your responsibility. Is this the way of Rasul sallallahu Yes or no? And even if they throw something at you, you can't throw something back, can you? No, it's true. Even if they throw rocks at you and you bleed till your shoes are full of blood, if you're going to follow Rasul sallallahu what do you have to do? You have to pray for them. Is that true or false? Okay, so let's follow the real deal. Alright, so be a little bit compassionate here. And remember, they don't know anything except what they've been programmed to say. And most of the people who come up to you, they really think they're doing something good because they see you as being evil and they're trying to do Amr bil Maruf to call you to the right way and forbid al Munkar. Because that's what they think. So they may be closer to Islam in their attack on Islam than you know. I know that doesn't make sense right away, but when you think about it, they had a lot of guts to come up and talk to you. That's kind of scary, man. To go up to a terrorist and accuse them in their face. That means that's a lot of guts. So take it easy and just say, thank you for asking me about my religion. Because usually they're going to go, huh? I wouldn't ask you, if I was trying to start a fight. You know? Well, whatever. In our religion, in Islam, we have to tell the truth or we can go to hell forever. Allah says in the Quran, Ya yuladina amanu. What's the rest of it? Huh? You have to tell the truth. Oh, you who believe? Huh? Actually, also, Ya yuladina amanu atakallah wa kulu kaulan sadida. This is another one. So you have to tell the truth. If you don't, and the Prophet ﷺ told us about that. Somebody is Joban. Could he still be a believer? A coward runs away in a battle. Said, yeah, could be. So what about somebody Bakhil? You know, stingy, really stingy. Could he be a believer? He said, yeah. Yeah. Then they said, what about a kadib, a liar? Could he still be a believer? He said, no. No way, Jose. That's it. So, for sure, I have to tell you the truth. And, second point is, we have the proof. Even if I didn't tell you the truth, you can find out for yourself. Go to Monsieur Google. You know, Sheikh Jujul. You go on the line and you can find out for yourself if I'm telling you the truth or not. Because Islam's been preserved not only in the minds and hearts of millions of human beings. We have over 9 million people memorize the Quran alone. Living today. That's the minimum statistic. Some say over 20 million. It doesn't matter. <laughs> There's no two versions out there. Somebody asked me a little while ago about the Shiite version. I said, what Shiite version? Who told you this? Shiites had a competition for Quran in Pennsylvania a few years back. They recite the same thing we are. Yeah, there's some weird groups out there, offshoots that claim this and claim that. I even saw one of them. It's a handmade deal that they made up. It's, it has an extra surah called Surah Ali. Ya Yuladina Amanu, Amanu Ali. <laughs> that's what it says. <laughs> as soon as you hear it, you go, that's not Quran because it's structured wrong. You can't talk like that. <laughs> I got one in my pocket. I, we don't really have time for this, but I got this one. Right? Can you see what's on there? Is that Arabic language? you see it? That's Arabic, right? 
I'm going to try. Maybe some who's who's got can read Arabic pretty good. Somebody come up here and read this for me because I can't, I can't really see it very good. Somebody quick, just come on. It just takes a couple minutes. If you can read it, just come over here and read it. Can you see it? How's this grammar on that? How's the grammar? It's not very good, is it? What is it? It's the Injil, isn't it? In Arabic. It's a famous. In English it says, For God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son. That's what it says. But when you read it in Arabic, did it sound like Quran? Didn't even sound like good poetry, did it? We got the source. You don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about that. You got the source. The problem is you just need to learn it. So we have the truth, we have the proof. Now come to this point with the person and tell him. There are a lot of questions out there, but some of the questions are not real questions. They're statements with a question mark. You're saying something, but you're trying to make it sound like a question. I'll give you an example. Somebody comes to you, can you answer a question for me about your family? Yeah. Yes or no. Is your mom out of jail yet? My mom's not been in jail. No, no, no. Yes or no. What do you mean yes or no? My mom's not. No. Yes or no. Can you answer the question? No. Oh, she's still there? I mean, yes. Oh, she got out? I mean, what can I say? The question is loaded with a statement that's not true. My mother has never been in prison and never will be in prison. And I can't stand the idea that you said it like that. So, and then by the way, while I'm giving you the answer, I just have one question for you. You ask me a question, I want to give you the answer, but I have a question for you. If while you're listening to the answer, you like the answer to the question, you find guidance in this, and you find it something good, something you'd like for yourself, are you prepared then to reconsider your position and consider worshiping God directly without partners? Because you see, that's all Islam is about. Nothing more than that. That's all it's about. Are you ready for that? Do you want to do that? If you like to answer it. If you don't, you can tell me to take a hike. They're going to go, huh? How did we get to this? A minute ago, I was, you know, and now I'm, wait a minute. Okay, we're going to start with your question. You said, what about a man, 53 years old, having sex with a six-year-old girl? I will tell you immediately in Islam, this is not permitted. And that person could be put to death even for such an act. Well, what about your, don't say another word. Okay? Because, I'm giving you the answer. Just listen up. And also not at nine years old. In fact, it is totally haram, forbidden for a man to have sex with any woman. That's not permissible. That is not allowed in Islam. Men and women do not have sex with each other unless they are married. So marriage is the number one thing in Islam. Don't come talking to me about having sex, okay? There's no boyfriend-girlfriend relationship in Islam. Anybody who does that is haram. This is a big forbidden thing. And so if a Muslim never been married, it's a given. It's understood they are virgin. 
We don't have to ask them. That's just how it is. If not, they got a big problem already. So this is not something small in Islam. You don't come making an accusation like that. In fact, in Quran, if anybody makes an accusation like that, they have to have four eyewitnesses. Four eyewitnesses to see them with no clothes on and actually see the act. Then the Prophet even described it to be sure that nobody misunderstood. Four eyewitnesses. Not three. Four. And they have to know who they are and be able to identify them. Both. Otherwise, the ones bringing the testimony can be punished for bringing this because it's considered they lied against them. So now, are there four witnesses that ever said this about Prophet Muhammad Wasallam that he had sex with anybody? And the answer is absolutely not. Never did happen. Now you want to reword your question? Well, we heard he got married to a young girl. Okay, now that's not the same question, is it? Did he get married to a young girl? Absolutely, sure did. But again, I'm going to ask you, what's your witness to that? Because I know your witness is Monsieur Jujul. You got it off the internet. But we have it in the Arabic language and it's preserved. We still have the books. You want to go to Morocco, to the oldest university on earth, or go to Al-Azhar, to Cairo, and see their university at Al-Azhar and see what they have. You want to go to, I don't know what's left in Baghdad anymore. Uh, you know, I think that's been kind of, but that's another story. What I do know is that I have personally observed these ancient books myself and they exist and they say the same thing that the modern copies have right here that you have Riyadh Salahin, Bukhari and Muslim right here in this masjid. It's the same thing. It's not different. And the testimony for the story is coming from who? Aisha bint Abu Bakr. That is Aisha, the daughter of Abu Bakr. Yes? Did I say it right? How's my Arabia? Clicking right along. Huh? Yeah. Next time we go for Hajj, I'll be able to order cheese in my shoes. <laughs> anyway, think about this. If you're going to accept the testimony, the testimony is recorded in Sahih Bukhari, the most authentic book on earth. There isn't a more authentic book of anything on earth besides that, except the Quran. Right? It tells us in there that she is the one bringing the testimony. Now I'm going to ask you, you're not a Muslim. You're not obliged to take anything I say or that says, but I'm just going to ask you, do you accept her testimony? I do, but do you? And if you're willing to accept her testimony, then are you going to accept it on some things or everything? And if you accept it on everything, i got to tell you something. She also said there was only one God worthy to be worshipped. And she also said that Muhammad was his prophet and messenger. So do you accept that? Because if you reject that, then why do you bother to listen to the rest of what she says? And now let's listen to what she did say. Let's do that. Are you ready to examine the matin or the text of this hadith? The one that when she was six years old, she said she was about that age, six years old. And she said that her mother, her mother, you got that? Make sure you know the characters in this story. Came to her and she was outside playing in the dirt. Mother said, come inside. She went inside and her father, you heard that? Her father is sitting there with his best lifelong friend. They've been friends since childhood. 
and their best of friends. Who is his friend? Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yes? And as was the custom of the Arabs, you could marry a child as soon as they were born. There was no problem with that. And he was offering his daughter to be married to his best friend, which was very much accepted, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Because she said that she went back outside and played in the dirt. If they got married, there would have been some celebration. And they sure as heck didn't have S-E-X like you said. This was a marriage proposal from a man to another man to accept his daughter. Who was making the proposal was Abu Bakr. Read it. That's what it says. Abu Bakr offered to marry his daughter to his best friend. But it wasn't acceptable. Why? Look in the Quran, chapter 4, verse 34. Verse 19. Sorry, I mixed it with another. Verse 19. For the believers, you cannot inherit a woman against her will. You cannot marry a woman until she decides she wants to be married to you. So a father can't marry his daughter off. Number one. Number two, she's not old enough to make the decision until she begins her monthly cycles and is old enough to have a baby. Oops. That's the meaning. Inshallah. Now, some years later, the offer is made again. She goes back in the house again. Her father again offers her in marriage. The Prophet ﷺ is accepting this idea now. And now it's up to her and she accepts the idea. For what? Marriage. Something that maybe you don't know much about. Okay? Maybe where you come from, people do stuff like that and they don't bother to get married. I don't know. But for sure, this is not acceptable in Islam to make such an accusation against the lowest life form, much less the highest, which is Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu but she accepted and she didn't say we went home to his home and did sex. No. Instead she talks about what they did and he talks about it himself in other hadiths mentioning that after they got married they used to play together. They used to run, she said, and I used to beat him. She said then I got older and heavier and he used to beat me in the racing. Oh. And he talks about how to be gentle with your wife, especially a young girl, and you treat her good, and you do many things before you ever have intercourse. He said it. This is from his side now, not her. He's telling you about this treatment. But from her, we're learning the way that a man and a woman have intercourse together that's so beautiful. It's an act of love, not lust. Again, something you don't learn much about reading tabloids in the checkout line of the local Safeway. Okay? Please understand what you're talking about. The Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, was the example to the human beings and he was the rahmat to the alameen. He was the mercy to mankind. He's the example, the walking example of the Quran. The reason he married a very old woman, and he did, he married a very, very old woman, so old she couldn't even have intercourse. This was not even her deal. He married her to take care of her. You don't mention that. You don't want to care about that. You just care about sensationalism. You didn't talk about how he married a woman 
just to provide for her and care for her and be a man of love for her and consideration, compassion. And by the way, he was married to more than one woman at the same time. But so were prophets of the Bible. Why don't you want to talk about that? It's your book. I don't have a problem with your book. What are you going to say about it? So let's let's balance out what we say. The next thing is, the Prophet Muhammad has to give an example to us on what to do and what not to do. So he did many things that even we wouldn't have to do. For instance, we're never going to be prophets. We're not going to get revelation. We may never have to go into any kind of battles, I hope. And at the same time, he is the example for all of this. And he did marry a woman older than him and a woman younger than him. He married a woman who had been married before and her husband died and married again and her husband died. And that was Khadijah and he, she was 15 years older than him and they were married for 40, like how many years till? 40 years, something like this. Long time. And then when she died, then is when he got another wife. So tell it the right way. So if he was like you're trying to indicate with your slanderous accusations, how come he goes up until he's so many years old, 50-something years old, with only one wife? And never, never have any kind of relationship with another woman. How do you say such things? You don't know what you're talking about. And, (laughs) I didn't even get started. But I'm going to capsulize it because this is just question and answer series. And this. If we take all the beautiful things that she... She's a scholar of Islam, by the way. A lot of people, not Muslim, they don't know that. She's one of our biggest scholars. Aisha is one of the biggest scholars of Islam. Her and Ibn Abbas, uh, Abdullah Ibn Omar, Abdullah uh, Masood, and Abdullah... Everybody's named Abdullah. (laughs) But she's right there. With the scholars. And she's telling us all of the things we need to know about what you can do with a woman and what you can't do with her. During a woman's monthly cycle, you can't touch her. Not intimately. No. You can't do that. And in pregnancy, what's the deal there? And when they're fasting, and what's the deal there? And so and so and so. All of this we know from her. Now ask yourself a question. Of all the hadiths, and we know everything she ever said about him because we don't throw away hadiths. We know. Is there ever one word that she ever said to cut him down or put him down or say anything against him? Is it? Now, stop right there. Show me any other woman living today that never said anything bad about her husband. Go ahead. I'm waiting. Did he ever cut her down? Show me a man who didn't cut his wife down. Go ahead. Never said anything against his wife. Never spoke harsh in her face. Oops. How about this? Never put a hand on her. Oops. Show me a man that never hit his wife. Or a wife that never hit her husband. Huh? Now, stop lying and be honest here. Because we don't have that. And all of the hadiths of Muhammad Wasallam and Aisha radiallahu anhu, where do we see anything where they were fighting, bickering, screaming at each other, people have to call the police on them? What is that? Huh? In fact, I have a final challenge for you. Here we go. You ready? 
I want you and me, let's take all the stories we can find that are authentic stories in Islam with Aisha and Muhammad Sallallahu anything. Let's take all of it together, accumulate it, write it down, remove their names, remove the dates, and remove the places so nobody will have a clue of who we're really talking about. It's just a man and a woman. You can put their ages, things like that, but without telling the time frame or where they were. Remove that, put it down as a story, and then I want you to take it to any psychiatrist that you know. Or any sociologist, uh, one of those guys. I'm running out of words. I think I used up my limit for the day. And any marriage counselor. Let them read the story and then ask them, what do you say about this relationship? And when he died, she was still young. Did she ever get married again? Did she ever go chasing around? Excuse me, I don't want to say that, but this is what they're saying to us. Did she go chasing around with some guys? Audubillah. Never. In fact, she stayed behind a veil for the rest of her life. Nobody ever saw her body or her shape or her face because when she went out, she was totally covered. Is that true or false? And she lived to be about 74 or 70, some of that age. She did. And in that whole time, did she ever put down Muhammad Sallallahu or did she ever say, oh, I wish I would have done something different or should have maybe married somebody? Did she? Okay. So that story I want to take and ask now psychiatrists and psychologists, marriage counselors, what do you say about this story? You know what they're going to tell you? This is the dream story that Shakespeare meant to write because they didn't commit suicide. You know I'm talking about Romeo and Juliet. This is the real story. This is the beautiful love story. This is the relationship that you wish that you had. Is that true? So now you come to your end. You come to the end. You just agreed that the story itself is the best of stories you ever heard. And remember what we said when we started? If you heard something in the answer that made you think, hmm, I like that. That's something good for me. Huh? That you'd reconsider your position and begin to think about worshiping God alone without any partners. So say, Ashadu. An la ilaha. Illallah. Wa ashadu. Muhammad Rasulullah. Yeah, and then we say, Takbir, Takbir, Allah, Akbar, Allah, Akbar. Get my free Quran and hit the road. No. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. I'm going to wrap it up with that because it's time for Isha. And, uh, but I'll tell you what we'll do. Is anybody here, is anybody here who would like to continue this? Okay, we can continue at Fajr in the morning. You want more now? How many, how many want to pray Isha and just hit the road? Anybody need to pray Isha and run? I can stop though. There's an off button right there. In fact, I'm going to push it now. Don't forget to visit IslamTomorrow.com. Open 24 hours a day and find free parking.